Good morning. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? If you have your Bible, you can turn open to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 4. There it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray as we open your word that you'll open our hearts to the reality of our own desire to be noticed by the crowd, our own desire for recognition and personal advancement. And God, I pray that you would uh, help us understand even the good things we do are often out of selfish motives. We pray that you would give us counsel from Scripture a counsel that, that pierces us, that wounds us, that convicts us of our shortcomings, but counsel that also encourages us and comforts us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So turn our hearts to you as we turn our attention to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. At Compass Bible Church, we have what we call the eight distinctives, and we have a mission. We we exist to reach people for Christ, teach people to be like Christ, and train people to serve Christ. Like, that's why we exist. It's just a, a reiteration of the great commandment in Matthew 28. We also have these things called the eight distinctives that keep us on track. So if the, if the Great Commission, if our, if our mission statement is the locomotive, if you will, the eight distinctives are the tracks that keep us going in the right direction. They keep us from veering left or veering right like so many organizations and institutions have throughout history. And it keeps us focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and his mission for the local church. In those eight distinctives, there is distinctive number three, that we seek to maintain a high view of God. This is an important concept for the Christian faith because every single day you are left with two options when it comes to every decision that you make. Every single decision that you make, you have an opportunity to seek to maintain a high view of God or seek to maintain a high view of man. Every choice that you have every single day has everything to do with distinctive number three. I think even this morning, many of you, and I would expect many more who aren't here this morning, you were given this question. Shall I get up and go to church this morning? There's an opportunity to say, I'm going to get up this morning, and I'm going to exalt the name of the Father of the name of the Son and name of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to gather together with my church family in corporate worship, and thus I'm going to this morning seek to have a high view of God. Preaching to the choir, but there is uh, the other group who would get up on a Sunday morning and say, I'm just too tired. I'm just not feeling like it. I need a little time for me. Sundays are my only day off. You see, 
every day, and that's just one example among many examples, every single decision you have every day, you have one or two options. Am I going to have a high view of God, or am I going to have a high view of man? This reality, distinctive number three, is seen clearly in Matthew chapter 6 on the topic of generosity, on the topic of giving. And the reality there is that we need to recognize that even doing good, right? and this is what you see in the text, things that the world looks at and says that is good. That even these good things, Jesus calls out the Pharisees on exalting themselves in the public square because they're exalting themselves while pretending to exalt God with false righteousness, with, with selfish righteousness. So over the next few weeks, as we go into Matthew chapter 6, we're going to learn all about motives. Right? What are your motives? Because motives matter. It doesn't just matter what you do. It matters why you do it. And so if you haven't, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, starting there in verse 1. What we're going to do is understand the main principle this morning before we jump into the text, and it's simply this, that your generosity should never be motivated by human recognition, but by your commitment to God who sees your generosity and rewards you as His child. See, it's all about motivation. It's like, who am I seeking to please, God or man? Am I seeking to exalt man or God? That's really the question that we have to ask every single day. And this text begs us to ask this question in our own life as Christians. And in these next few sermons, Jesus gives us three examples to check our own motives. And the three examples he gives us is giving, prayer, and fasting. And all those, these are the three examples he gives us. Uh, you can add every other example in your entire life that are you living for God or living for yourself? Are you saying that you're living for God, but in the heart you are motivated by self-advancement and personal praise from others? This is what Jesus has to say. Look there at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen. By them, That word, beware, should, should catch your attention. As a matter of fact, me and my wife were on a walk last night around our neighborhood, uh, and there was this fence on the outside of it, side of it. It said, beware of dog. And sure enough, the closer we got to the house, we get right up on the fence, and you just hear this dog going crazy, big dog. That was a cop's house, so huge dog. Okay, And it was really helpful for me to see a sign that says, here is what you are bound to encounter when you get too close to this fence. So when it comes to us and our motives, Jesus has given us the same counsel by saying, beware. This is what you are bound to encounter as a Christian is doing good things with the wrong motives and you need to beware. I mean, this word gives us the picture of this ain't just something you do every once in a while. Like if every decision of my life is, am I going to glorify God or I'm going to glorify man, then that would also presuppose that every single decision I need to make, I need to beware that what I'm doing is to exalt God and not myself. So he says, you need to beware of this, of practicing your righteousness before other people. 
in order to be seen by them. I hope you write in your Bibles. If you don't write in your Bibles, I want to encourage you as a pastor, it is totally okay for you to write in your Bibles. Okay? I'm also not going to fight with you if you don't want to write in your Bible. I'm just saying it's a good thing if you do. I want you, you should obviously circle beware. That's an imperative, second person imperative. That's something that you should be doing. This is something that Jesus says you all should beware. There's another word I want you to underline, and it's the word seen. You see the word seen there in verse 1? There's something interesting about that word because in verse 4, you see Jesus saying the same thing that your father who sees. So in the English, those are the same words, aren't they? See. In the Greek, those are two different words. In the Greek, verse 4 is blipo, which is a very common word to just mean generally seeing, observing. But in verse 1, the word seen is theomai. Okay, theomai in verse 1, which means to behold. The noun form of theomai is theatron. Okay, now we're getting somewhere close to what we would recognize this word as meaning because it is exactly where we get the English word theater. Even if you look up in the Webster's Dictionary, if you look, uh, if you look at the word history of the word theater, it comes from this exact Greek word theatron. And so Jesus is saying right here, even in his usage of what particular word he's using, he's saying, you need to make sure that you're not making the world your theater. You aren't out here with selfish motives trying to go play a part that is not yours to play. Your job isn't to go out and make it all about you. Your job isn't to go and seek personal advancement through doing good things when all you're really trying to do is create an opportunity for personal advancement and glorifying yourself. He says, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, it's important for Christians in every sphere. We're going to talk a lot about giving and generosity, particularly to those in need. But verse 1 is, is kind of is, is the heading for the next few sermons. It, every time we go talk about praying and uh, fasting, we're going to go back to verse 1 because verse 1 is the general overarching principle. Is in all of these things, we got to beware that we're not doing good things for wrong motives. And so it's important for Christians to be on guard to ensure that our acts, that your acts of righteousness are not used for personal advancement or personal recognition. Your generosity, it's not an opportunity to put a show on where you play the leading role and the world is your audience. It's, it's not the reason to do anything. As a matter of fact, if you do that, God says it very clearly, you have received your reward in full. That, that's it. If you want what you get is personal praise and nothing else from other people. If you want God to notice, he's going to notice this, that I notice that you're doing this for other people to notice you and not that I would notice you. And your praise is strictly only what other people will give you because you will receive none from your Father who is in heaven. Really, it's imperative for you and I as a Christian to check our motives. And that's really point number one. You should sum it up that way. You need to check your motives, point number one. Check your motives when you are practicing your righteousness. You need to be asking the question, not just what I'm doing, but why am I doing this? Regardless of what you're doing throughout your whole day, every question should be, everything you do, a question should be asked, why am I doing this? 
Who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for God? There was a social media trend that went viral by social media influencers and in some way is still out there pretty regularly. And it's when a social media influencer would film themselves going to a poor person, going to a homeless person, and they would give them just a massive wad of cash. And they would give it to them, and they would film it, and they'd give them a hug. And, you know, when you've watched these, you kind of cry a little bit. It makes you, makes you feel kind of soft inside. But you also feel this other emotion, don't you? This, that's a little icky. Like, that's a little bit uncomfortable for me to watch and then you're left with an ethical dilemma aren't you like what should I think about when I see something like that then you have to ask the question well why are they doing it well when you think about a social media influencer what are they trying to do what's in the name right influence social media Right? That they're trying to figure out how to increase their following so that they could be exalted, so they could put on a platform, so they can make it about them. And so the problem isn't that they're helping those in need. The problem is the heart behind it. That's why they recorded it. Right? If, if their motives were pure, they would not have needed to record it to make it known to the world what they were doing. See, it's a, the perfect example of what Jesus is talking about here. Literally, it is the example of what Jesus is talking about here. Don't go and be giving to those who are in need and trumpeting it about. Don't go and make it all about you doing something good. You need to make it about God who is good. And you need to check your motives. A verse that sums that up for us, and you can jot it down in your notes, is John chapter 12, verse 43. John chapter 12, verse 43. This is Jesus talking about those who rejected him. And he says this about them, that they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from from God. Now there is the problem. That's d- distinctive number three at Compass Bible Church in a verse, isn't it? Like we have to seek to maintain a high view of God. Why? Because there's going to be a constant pull in our culture to either love the glory that comes from man or love the glory that comes from God. And the problem arises when we, like those that Jesus is addressing, love the glory of man more than we love the glory of God. There's something important for you to notice here is in Scripture it makes very clear that as a Christian, there are oftentimes you would be in sin, but there are times you can choose glory from man. It's an option, but it's there. It's not a biblical option. It's a sinful option, but it is a real thing that you struggle with every day. I want people to like me. Like, I want people to think about me. I want people to consider me. And so I'm going to try to manipulate a situation in which I can receive honor and glory from man because I want to be important. I want to be significant. And I want to make it about me. See, that's the heart of the problem here, isn't it? And your real problem is this, much deeper than popularity, much deeper than being in middle school or high school, much different uh, than trying to, as a young adult, attract the right partner, more than you at work trying to uh, make people like you so you get that raise, you can impress the boss, more than, you know, grandma and grandpa putting in that pool 
so the grandkids would choose to come over to your house instead of other grandma and grandpa's house down the road. There's more to it. And the gist of it, at the very bottom of it, when all is said and done, the question is this, do you love the glory that comes from man more than you love the glory that comes from God? Because here is a truth fundamental to the Scriptures, that God does want to give you honor. God does want to praise His children for faithfulness. It's, it's a truth very clear in Scripture, and, and you see it here, the tip of it here in, in John 12, 43, that God does want to give praise and glory to His children. They are His children. The question is, do you, would you rather have praise from man or would you rather have praise from God? You see, every single day, every single moment, you get up, every decision you make, you got to ask the same question. Do I want to receive praise from man today or do I want to receive praise from my God today? In verse 2, Jesus gives an example. Now, as we're thinking about our motives, now he's going to give us an example to avoid, right? If you want to be doing things in the right way, with the right heart motives, then here's something that you ought not to be doing. And he gives a real-life example of something that those who were there on the mount, there by the Sea of Galilee, have seen over and over and over again. And Jesus says, here's what we don't do. He says in verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. That word hypocrites, that's another word for you to underline. If you underline the word theomai, the C there, I want you to also underline hypocrites. Because Jesus is using these words to prove a point. Right? If, if theomai comes from the word theatron, which means you're making the world your theater, the word hypocrite is actually defined in Greek by a person trying to play a part in a play. So a hypocrite means quite a bit different in our culture. Right? A hypocrite is somebody doing something opposite of who they are, something contrary to who they are and their nature, and they're lying. But in Greek, in classical Greek particularly, a hypocrite was an actor. And Jesus is saying, they are using the world as their stage, and they are acting a part that is not representative of who they really are. They are acting righteous, but it is self-righteousness. They're doing good, but it's good for them. Do you see? So that word there, when we see hypocrites, we recognize Jesus is saying they're being self-righteous, and they're not actually displaying uh, character congruent with who they are because they're making you think they're something that they're really not. And he says about them that they do this for a reason, that they may be praised by other people. They're more concerned with making a scene and receiving applause than giving glory to God and obeying his commandments. <clears throat> and this is what Jesus says about them. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. I want you to notice that they have received their reward. The reality for them is whatever they have done, whatever good, quote unquote, that they have done, whatever they receive from the praises of people in God's eyes, he says, that's, that's sufficient for your reward. That's what you're getting. Right? There's a problem that arises there in the Christian life, and even in the life, regardless if you're a Christian or not. The problem becomes if we are trying to garner praise from people, we're going to lose. Because you, as every social media influencer, 
and every brand has ever realized is it's a losing battle, and it's really how long can I stay on top because I know eventually I'm falling down. I can't stay there. I can't get enough acclaim and applause from people to stay in that spot forever. It's a losing game if I'm just trying to do everything I can do to get people to notice me. It's just a personal one as a pastor. It's like I'm young right now. I'm not going to be young forever, right? Unfor- you know, it's just the truth. And it's not unfortunately. I love old people. I can't wait because the Lord, this is funny, right? Yeah. You know why I love old, you know I love old people? Because there's something about an old person who loves the Lord that says they have the Holy Spirit. Because there is no reason why an 80 or 90 year old person who's been jaded by the world would live for the Lord for any other reason than the fact they're full of the Holy Spirit and running after the Lord. The only reason. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of reasons for young people to love it up, to live it up because you're young, you're good looking, you're the, you're the best you're ever going to look. What's, I mean, it's all going for you. But you better recognize that you're not going to be on top of that mountain long. You're going to be falling down that mountain for the rest of your life. And you've got to be asking, what am I doing this for? Like, what is my motivation here? Like, if I'm just trying to receive applause from other people, recognition by other people, I mean, there's going to be a time where you know, I'm a 65, 70-year-old pastor. People aren't just coming here because they're like, ooh, that young guy spits some fire, opens up the Bible. It's really cool. Right? They're going to be like, there's that old crotchety man again, Bible thumping. You know? It... But the reality comes, like, why are we doing this? Because if I'm doing this just because you giggle sometimes, it's not going to be worth it. It's not going to, it's not going to sustain you. But if we do this because God's Word says, son, daughter... There is a commendation for you. As a father, I love seeing my children live for me, and you will not lose your reward. But them, they who make it about them, you need to know, my child, that they have received their reward in full by seeking the praise of man. Really, it's a sad reality. I want you to think of even the context of this for a minute. Put yourself in their sandals, okay? The sad reality for those hypocrites They're all dead today. Right now, they're all dead. Every single one of those people that we're talking about are dead. And every single one of them are not living in the commendation and praise and reward that God promises is faithful. They are looking back right now in eternity saying, I really, really messed up with the little time that I had. The little time that I had. Jesus was telling me, the Son of God told me that if I make it about me and I live here in this brief time and make it all about me, I've received my reward there. And right now, if they could be here, they're going to say, listen to him. Because we can't go back. But you, you're still here. And he's going to tell you, they're going to tell you the same thing. It's a terrible trade-off to want the praise of man instead of the praise of God. It's a terrible thing you're old enough, it's just like you investing in Sears and Blockbuster 30, 40 years ago, instead of investing in Apple, right? You recognize, you're like, it would have been a terrible thing. They're not even going to be around in 30 years. Like, my kids aren't even going to know what a VHS is, and neither will they know anything about the praise that you tried to receive 20 or 30 years ago. But God knows. It's a terrible trade-off. So I want you to write it down this way. As a Christian, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. 
mean, that's the reality that when we accept praise from man, we are, by definition, settling for less than what God desires for his children. This is point blank what you're doing. That's why the text says this. Don't be seeking the praises of man. We want to seek the praise and commendation of God. As you write that short point, I want you to jot down also 1 Corinthians 4, 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It says that, you know, God's coming. Like, there's a time. God is coming back. If you didn't know that, the first time you're hearing that this morning, Maranatha, He's coming, right? God's coming back. And this is what it says He's going to do. He's going to bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. There's some news. Right, and that, that is good and bad news for everyone in here, regardless of where you're at. I mean, if you're not a Christian, it's just bad news. Bad news. Right? But even as a Christian, you're like, Whew, okay, I'm having to rethink about all the things I've done in my life, recognizing that he's going to disclose the purpose of my heart. It's not just going to be, hey, Jesus, look what I did. It's also going to be like, and look at actually why I did it, because I did, I did that for me. I did that for personal exaltation. I did that for, for personal vain glory. I did that for self-righteous reasons. And it was never about the kingdom. It was never about having a high view of God. It was never about worshiping the lamb who is, thrown, who is enthroned in the heavens. It was all about me trying to enthrone myself in my own life. See, there's something that we're going to recognize that we lose out on when he comes to us and he discloses the purpose of the heart. But I want you to notice this text is actually in the positive. This text is framed in the affirmative. He says, and then each one will receive his commendation from God. He didn't say judgment, did he? He didn't say condemnation. He said commendation. Right? If you have an ESV, it's commendation. If you have an NASB, it probably says your NASB, praise. Like, think about it. The Father wants to commend you as his child. The Father wants to praise you as the motives of your heart and your life are commensurate with your actions. That you did good because of the glory of God. And He wants to commend His children for obeying and following Him faithfully. And so, Christian, I tell you, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Here's the pro- here's a, here's a promise. And something that I hear so often is just people, they say, well, you know, I'm not doing it for the reward. Of course you're not doing it for the reward. Because can I tell you something? I'm going to try to frame it in a way that makes sense. Here's the problem that I think I've said a number of times. Nobody, no self-righteous person, no, no self-righteous person who is all about here and now, who is all about receiving glory and praise now, is going to reject glory and praise now to get it later. They're not going to do it. Nobody who says, well, I don't want to seek praise because then that'd be for the wrong motives. You're not doing it for the wrong motives if you can actually do that because people who do things for the wrong motive try to get everything they can out of life right now. No one who genuinely wants to honor God and receive the commendation from God, right? no one who, who does want to see, seek commendation from God are going to have a problem with storing that up there where it ought to be. Because I don't want to settle for less. But selfish people, 
self-serving people aren't going to, because I want you to recognize something. You're taking for granted the fact that heaven exists, because you just say, of course it does. Everybody knows heaven is existing. You believe that because you've entrusted yourself to Jesus, okay? And by entrusting yourself to Jesus, you have submitted yourself not only to Jesus, but what he has said about everything, including eternity. So for you, it's like, well, then technically, if I wanted to manipulate the system, I could get more there. It's like, yeah, but you're thinking about this theoretically. No generally self-righteous person is going to trust Jesus to do what he says he's going to do. You yourself are thinking, I'm getting into heaven because of Jesus Christ, because of him, not because of me. Well, a self-righteous person is going to say, well, why am I getting to heaven? Because I prayed a prayer. Because I walked down the aisle. Because I was good enough. You, you see the point here. So as a Christian who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ, who is full of the Holy Spirit, recognize that you are well in the realm of your heritage and your stewardship to say that my Father has commendation and praise awaiting for me as I turn away from the world and as I turn to him. You need to understand that and you need to allow that to be part of your theology, your doctrine of saying the Father does want to commend and give praises. Now, above Jesus? No, because then we just, we back to the beginning, right? No, not above Jesus. You're not going to be exalted. You're not going to want the right hand of the Father. You're not going to take place of God. But you, as you've submitted yourself to the throne of God, you've submitted yourself to him, and as you're following the lamb, he wants to commend you and praise you for your faithfulness because you didn't settle for less here because you settled for the best there. Which means this, practically, as you're living your life, you're living for an audience of one. You are living for an audience of one. You may be doing things publicly, like, I mean, I think this is just a really obvious example. I'm the only one on stage right now, uh, and there are just hundreds of you, okay? Uh, I'm preaching to the congregation for one person, and his name is God. I'm preaching for him, exalting his name because he's called me to do this, and the, me, the audience, is one. You, everything you do every single day, the audience is one. Now, can I tell you something that happens with the motivation of being a person who understands your audience is one. You then are also good for the masses, okay? If I were up here for my own vain glory and for my own self-exaltation, I am good neither for you nor myself or God. But as I submit myself and Pastor Evan submits himself and any other pastors we bring on in the future here at Compass Bible Church, if they, if they would submit themselves under the hand of God not settle for less, but settle for God's best, they're going to be good for everybody. Which is really the heart here of saying, when I'm giving and I'm being generous and there are people in need and I'm making it about the glory of God, guess who I'm also going to be good for? The people in need. Like, I'm going to be good for the people in need. I'm going to be good for God. I'm going to be useful. I can't be useful when I make it all about me. I can be useful as God uses me for his glory and for the good of those around me. It's the same concept as I think about my wife. How does having an audience of one who is God help me in marriage? You all, so many of you, right, need to recognize that your marriage is an audience of one. And the one isn't husband and wife. The one is this. That the Bible tells me how to treat my wife. To live with her in an understanding way. 
right? To love her as Christ loved the church. To give myself up for her. And as my audience of one is God, and I'm saying, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do, and I want to do it to please you, guess who I'm also going to honor? My spouse. Guess who I'm also going to please? My spouse. And guess what I'm also going to do for my spouse? I'm going to turn our eyes to Jesus. You see, when we do it with the right motives, God uses it for the advancement of his glory and of his kingdom. But it only happens when we recognize that we're not settling for less here. We're going to settle for God's best, and that means i got an audience of one. Verses 3 and 4 tells us that God has much more in mind for his children, much more in mind for his children when we do it his way. Right? When we spend time seeking the glory of God, when we reject finding our primary motivation in ourselves, which is idolatry. When we see that we are doing things for me, myself, and I, it's idolatry. It's the same thing. It's as old as Eden. I want you to recognize that this whole sermon goes back, finds its foundation in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve say, I want to be like God. I want to know the things that... I want to know good and evil. I want to be like God. I... Excuse me, I, I, I. You see the problem here. It became about them and not about God. When God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You should not eat of its fruit or you shall surely die. And they made it about them because they thought that they had the best in mind, and they didn't. They settled for less and therefore didn't receive God's best. And it's the same story for you and I over and over and over again. But God has much more in mind for his children. Look at verse 3. But when you, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You want to know your, your imperative? No. If you like to underline your imperatives in Scripture, you can underline no, K-N-O-W. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. You see, I want you to notice the discreet nature of these texts, uh, the subtle nature of these verses versus the first two verses. The first two verses talked about making myself a spectacle. Like making the world my theater and making it all about me. But yet here, in verses 3 and 4, it says, but when you go and you're doing good, when you're, particularly when you're giving to the needy, you need to be so slick that your left hand don't even know what your right hand is doing. I mean, that's pretty slick, isn't it? You're doing something your right hand, your left hand's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what is, what's going on over there. Right? That's the life of the Christian, that you are being subtle and discreet in the way that you would meet the needs of people. Why? So that your giving may be in secret. It would be secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Did you see the complete dis different dispositions of those, two, of those four verses? One is for public acclaim. One is to be done in secret because I have an omniscient God. And I have a God, if he's going to be able to disclose the purposes of the heart, and he's going to be able to bring to light all the things that were hidden in the darkness, 
That means that the things I did in secret will be public to God. The things that I do that no one's seen would be newsworthy to God because he would not miss a single one of them. And so I am convinced that there's nothing that I can do and there is no genuinely good, righteous thing I can do that God will not see and reward. And that's what it says. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And remember the whole point here, and I don't want you to miss a number of points here, but all of the Sermon on the Mount is about the heart. The heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. That your heart is the problem here. And if your heart is changed and made new in Christ Jesus, you're going to recognize that it's not about you. We may need to learn how to not make it about us, but we're going to know, as a matter of fact, that it isn't about us. And then the rest of our life is figuring out how to continue not making it about me. But that's the heart of it. Now, what Jesus is not saying is that if you give and someone happens to find out that you're going to lose your reward. If you've been taught that, I was taught this as a, as, as a young kid. It's like, if anyone finds out what you did, it's like a good thing. If anyone finds out what you did, you're going to lose your crown. You're going to lose your jewel in your crown. It's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about if someone happens to see that you do a good thing, you're going to lose your reward. And so, because if you take that to its logical conclusion, then it's not only are you trying to give in secret, but you're also trying to be deceptive that you're giving in secret in such a way where people don't know. Well, he's not telling you to lie so people don't know. He's saying that your heart needs to be, I'm going to be discreet in my giving, not making it about me, but making it about God. Okay, if somebody happens to see you giving and that wasn't your intention, glory be to God. God's sovereign. God may have used that opportunity for them to have seen that, oh man, that's something I need to be doing. As long as you aren't using it for personal advancement. As long as you aren't using it so that person would give you glory and exalt you and saying, well, you're a better Christian than I am. That's not what it's about. He's saying you need to be generous with no desire for praise and no desire for notoriety from others. And this is why we can harmonize an objection that many people find in this text. All right, when it comes to this text, many object and say, well, this sounds a lot different than what Jesus was just saying in Matthew chapter 5. Pastor, you just preached this the other day. You're telling me you forgot what you just preached the other day? Didn't you say that we are the light of the world in Matthew 5, 14? That a city on a hill, it cannot be hidden. So what's the use of trying? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Well, pastor, if I'm supposed to let them see everything I'm doing, all my good works, then how does it compute that Jesus would also tell me to be secret, to fool my left hand with what my right hand's doing? How can I harmonize these two truths? Pretty simple if you read the text. If you read the motives, remember, it's a heart problem. The problem here is a matter of the heart. What's the motive? Look at the motive of Matthew 6. The motive in chapter 6 is this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. Verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Did you see the motivation there? The motivation was to be seen for me, for my exaltation. Now, 
What is the motive in Matthew 5? Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Did you see the harmonization of those two texts? One was about the glory of you, and the other one was about the glory of the Father. And when we live for the glory of the Father, then let what we do be done so people would see and glorify God in heaven. Well, Pastor, now does that mean we should be like giving publicly and just throwing the money over? No. Because it says right here, don't do that. Right? If you really want to glorify God, then just listen to him and what he said. Give discreetly, subtly, not to be noticed. And you will give God plenty of glory. And when it comes to the other things in your life, the scripture is clear about, do it publicly. Allow allow your life to be on public display for Christ Jesus. But don't make it about you. The point here is giving to glorify God, not ourselves. And that's point number three. Write it down this way. You need to give to glorify God. This is in contrast to giving for any other reason. And that is, I think, a, uh, a description that you should write down somewhere if you want to recognize the nature of Christian giving. We give to glorify God and for no other reason primarily whatsoever. So then we can ask ourselves, why am I giving right now? Like, I mean, we passed around uh, the bags earlier, and most of you, 80% of you, give online. And we, you need to ask, and we need to ask, why are you giving? The answer should be unanimous. We give to glorify God, period. Do I want to meet the needs? Yes. Do we want to create more ministry space? Yes. Do we want to see people in need help? Yes. But why? For the glory of God alone, period. And like I said, if my audience is one, and I am doing everything for the glory of God, I'm also going to be doing things that are good for people. But my motivation isn't people. My motivation is God. Do we see that? That's, you can't miss it as a Christian. You miss that. If you miss that reality, you miss Christian living. Because if you miss God as the ultimate object to glorify, then you are no different than the philanthropist. You're no different than the person down the road who's given money to the homeless shelter. You're no different. You give to glorify God that is also good for people. We give to glorify God. Since we're talking about money, we're talking about giving, there's really a question you need to ask yourself. Right? Instead of thinking, how much of my money should I give to God? It's the wrong question. We should ask a completely different question. Instead of saying, how much of my money should we give to God? Honey, Kayla, how much, money of, how much of our money should we give to God this month? Instead, we ask, hey, honey, how much of God's money should we keep this month? Like, how much of, of God's money do we need for our personal well-being, and then the rest of it we can use for the advancement of the glory of God and His kingdom? That's the real question. You want to talk about motivation. Why do you keep more than you need? There's a heart question, is it? There's a motivating question. Why, if everything is God's and a gift from Him, why do I say I need more than I really do? For me? For my advancement, so I can get the bigger house, so I can get the nicer car, so that people will notice my nicer house, so people will notice my nicer car. I'm sorry, feet are hurting right now, aren't you? Your toes being stepped on, right? 
Because maybe you haven't had the problem that our ancient counterparts have where you're giving to glorify yourself, but you are spending to glorify yourself. Right? So we need to be asking really important questions about the motives of even while we keep what we keep. Is it a sin having nice things? Absolutely not. Is it a sin to have nice things to exalt yourself? Yes, it is. Is it a sin to have nice things for the advancement of the glory and the kingdom of God? No. But it's a sin to use your things and your money to seek personal advancement for yourself and not for the glory of God. And so, therefore, every question we ask, we say, Do, am I doing this to give glory to God or am I doing it for any other reason? If I can't find that I'm doing it for that one reason, I'm not doing it for the right reason. I mean, it's the same thing that we see in the New Testament. Give. Paul says you need to give, but you need to give not under compulsion, but eagerly. This is really what he says. Like, you need to recognize that giving should not just be something you do because you're pressured into it or because you're trying to figure out how you can gain something from it. You need to be giving eagerly as God has given you. There's one attitude and one disposition that we give, and it's for the glory of God. Everything we do is for the glory of God, but even in the context of this message, it's the generosity and the giving. The Westminster Catechism, among many other creeds throughout history, codify the overtone of, of all the Bible when, when they ask this question, what is the chief end of man? And they answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. There it is. So when I live my life, whatever I'm doing, when I'm giving and I'm being generous, I ask myself, what is the chief end of Hayden? The chief end of Hayden is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And if I want to enjoy Him forever, I've got to make it about Him because I can't both enjoy God and man. I can't enjoy praise from man and praise from God. Jesus even says later on in Matthew, you can't serve two gods. You will either love one or hate the other, or you will hate the other and love the one. You can't serve God and money. That was his words, not mine. We got to recognize something to be true. We exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if I want to enjoy him forever, I got to enjoy him in the way he taught me to enjoy him. And if he teaches me to enjoy him by discreet giving by generosity that isn't bombastic and on display for the world to see, out of protection for His glory and my own sanctification, then my giving will be subtle and my generosity will be discreet and I will give glory for Him and I will be good for those around me. And that is the gist of the text that we have before us. So let all we do, including our generosity, be done for the glory of God and for the good of those around us because we focus on God alone. Let's pray. God, I pray even this message that we as a whole church would check our motives, that we recognize even in that text in 1 Corinthians says that, that everything in the dark will be brought to light and you will disclose the purposes of our hearts, that it doesn't just matter what we do, but why we do it. But even in that text, that positive overtone and reality that you are going to come and give the commendation and praise to your children that we recognize that it is your desire to give the kingdom to your children, to put them in positions of authority and honor, not for our glory, but for your glory. The greatest thing for your glory would be to use us to give you more glory. 
And so as we think about that, not only eschatologically, eternally, but even as we think about it here, God, help us understand in our hearts, in our minds, that all that we do here serves to advance your kingdom, your message, even when it comes to the way that we utilize our giving, when it comes to the way that we ask ourselves every morning, God, help us, convict us with your Holy Spirit to ask the question every morning, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And God, let it ring throughout this church that our our doing and our being would be all for you. God, help our church grow through the preaching of this message. Let it give you glory and let it be for the good of your children. In Christ's name we pray, amen.